Hello and welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. My name is Julian Carl, CEO of Synergen Group. And in this episode, we finish up the idea of the nine relationship groups. So this is part two. And in this episode, we're really going to explore the external relationships you have. And I'm going to give you a series of questions which will enable you to really explore what the level of depth is against each of these four relationship groups from an external perspective. So happy listening and would love to hear what you think. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian speaks with leaders from around Australia to bring you their leadership story and share their insights about being a leader. To further help you build your leadership capability, Julian shares his own insights about leadership and the tools and techniques he uses as a leader. Welcome back to the second half of the nine relationship groups. I, I think that as I finished up the looking at the internal side, I realized that the episode was already over an hour, so I decided to split into two episodes. So today we're really going to look at the external perspective, and that is the, the depth of relationships you have uh, with the external factors. And we identified at the in last week's episode that there's four external relationship groups, uh, them being your customers, your suppliers, your competitors, and your industry. Let's get straight into it, and let's start looking at uh, some of the questions that I'd like you to consider in terms of what's the quality of relationship you have with your customers and the first thing is do you really understand what they're expecting of you so expectations has been an important part of all of these relationship groups and specifically when it comes to customers quite often we take our customers for granted and we really don't seek to understand what it is that they really expect from us and then once we understand that do we really take the time to actually make sure we're meeting and exceeding their expectations? So if we don't know what they are, how can we meet them? And I'll give an example. It's one of the things which comes up in, in my business uh, a lot. People say to us, how do we evaluate your training? So we do the same thing which a lot of training companies do. We do happy sheets feedback forms, all the rest of it at the end of end of each session. So we get a sense of the participants' experience on the day. But I think what, what we like to think that we do a little bit differently is prior to actually ever launching a program, we actually want to measure it against what the business expects. And so that's why I can't really have a standard way of always measuring the impact of our training because businesses want different things. Best example I've got of that is one of our current clients uh, very clearly at the start said we, the end of the 12 month programs that we're running with them, we want our people to be uh, promotion ready because we're very, very focused on succession planning. So that gave us a very clear understanding of what they're expecting from the program. So a few weeks ago, I was talking to the, the relevant HR people at that organization. I was very pleased to hear that of that particular program of 51% of the people had already moved into some form of promotion or, or, or improvement in their role. And so I think from that perspective, the organisation really does feel that we're meeting their expectations. So nothing wrong with asking your customers what they expect and then working towards meeting and eventually exceeding those expectations. I think it's also worth thinking about, do you really understand the benefits that they're looking for, the benefits of working with you. So I know that we are a small provider of leadership training and there, there are large providers of leadership training out there in the marketplace. One of the benefits I believe that our clients see with us is because of our size, we have the ability to be agile. We have the ability to be very nimble. We have the ability to respond very, very quickly. And our clients know that they are our absolute number one priority. And I think that comes through in, in, in the work that we do. So I'm really going to encourage you to think about, do you know what benefits they're looking for? Do you know how what benefits they want uh, and how to articulate the benefits of working with you? I'd also like you to think about how to, or understanding how your customers measure success. 
you know, is it success in terms of meeting operational KPIs? Is it in terms of them acquiring more, more, more customers? Is it them uh, achieving certain milestones? You know, because businesses go through different stages in terms of their life cycle. So some, obviously everyone wants to measure profitability as a measure of success, but in many businesses, it's not the only measure. Some, it might be the ability to implement a particular system. Some, it might be to have a culture change. The list goes on. So I think there's a lot of value in really taking the time to understand how they measure success and aligning yourself to that. But also like you to consider how aligned to their mission, vision, and values are you. If you are aware of their values and if you subscribe to their values and if you see their values as being the right values for you, cross-check them with your own. Cross-check them, where are you going, where are they going? What I would like to think is if you can align to those, ultimately you'll provide a better level of service. If you provide a better level of service, your client or customer retention rate is going to improve and you really start to build that depth of relationship with your customers. Have you ever considered what they're aspiring to be as a business? Where do they want to go? What are they looking to achieve? Do they want to be number one in their marketplace? Do they want to be, uh, are they looking to be, have the biggest brand recognition? Are they looking to be the employer that is recognized as an employer of choice, therefore they can attract certain talent? So I'd really like you to think about a, do you know where they want to be? Who are they aspiring to be as a business? One of the things I've noticed in my time is that some businesses don't always have a process for managing a customer account. Some organizations use CRM systems to do that. Some businesses have account managers set up to do that. Some businesses just you know, rely on hope that their customers won't go anywhere as a way of managing the account. But it's like you to think about what do you know about how the account's managed? If you're a big organization or you work for a big organization, there might be you know one account manager, but there also might be you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 people that in some way touch that account. So it is something that I would like you to really start to think about in terms of the depth. Do you have a really broad understanding of their industry? If I reflect on our business here, Synergen Group, you know, one of our uh, clients works in the rail industry. We've got a long-standing relationship with them, and we try to do everything we can to understand what's going on in the industry. You know, what are their competitors doing? What what are their regulators doing? You know, what are the challenges they're facing versus road transport? All these types of things. What new technologies may be coming into their industry? And what it does is allow us just to occasionally offer insight into what we've seen or what we've noticed and and again I think there's real value in that outside perspective so I would like you to think about what do you know about your customers industries what challenges do your customers face what challenges are they having with their customers what challenges are they having with their competitors what challenges are they having internally with their operations what are the relationships like internally Understanding their challenges allows you to provide a better level of service and potentially provide solutions. It's one of the biggest things I believe that suppliers don't do enough of is really try to understand their customer's challenge and looking at how they can contribute to their customer being successful through supporting them with those challenges. I'd also like you to think about what their resources are, so how well resourced they are as a business. So. Many businesses, as they get bigger and bigger and bigger, obviously have different type of cash flow and revenue situations, so their financial resources increase. Small businesses have, have a smaller financial resources, but they might have other resources, might have people resources, relationship resources, expertise resources. Start to think about what resources do your customers have? How can you support them? with those developing those resources to fully utilize those resources. One of the the things that I'm really seeing in terms of leadership at the moment and the way that organizations are working at the moment is that organizations are quite often so 
focused on what's going on internally and in some cases because they need to be but we get so focused on what's going on internally that they not necessarily have the time to step back and try to look at things from a different perspective so when you're dealing with your customers if you can provide that perspective there's real value in that there's real value in that so take the time understand what their resources are and think about how you can add value through that mechanism I'd also like you to consider their operational processes that they follow. Every business has processes, some very well documented, some not so documented. Generally, there's an operating rhythm of some shape or form which occurs in a business for that business to function. If you've got a good sense of how their operations function, I think that you are again placed to add real value and you're also in a better position to look at how you can adapt, just modify your service to better fit within their operational processes, which will in turn lead to a better level of service, customer retention, all of those things. So again, ask the question, what's their buying cycle? How do they buy from you? Industries are very, are very different. Some have long-term contracts, some are very short-term, some take a long time to decide, some take short time to decide. What's their buying cycle? Now, the reason this is important and I think this is important regardless of what level of leadership you're at. If you know you've got a, your customer has a contract renegotiation coming up, you've probably got somewhat of a vested interest in terms of making sure that you're providing the highest level of service you possibly can so that that contract renegotiation goes very seamlessly and your customers say, yep, we're going to continue on with the relationship. So I don't think it really matters what level of leadership you're at. You can all contribute to that and you can contribute to the way that your customer views you and the level of service you provide. There's a real level of depth uh, has been achieved if you understand the average lifetime value of your customer. If you can take the time to think about what does having this customer really mean? And it could be depending on the size of your business because I know my, I know the listeners out there are coming from all different types of businesses. Some of you, it's going to be millions. Some of you, it's going to be hundreds of millions in terms of your relationship. Others, it's going to be tens of thousands. Whatever it is, what's the average lifetime value? The reason I'd like you to, to know this is not because I want you just to focus on the high, high value in terms of financial. There may be other reasons why a customer is a really good customer. Maybe they make really quick decisions. It may be that they always pay on time. Whatever it may be. So I just want you to consider this idea of getting a better handle on on where the, the financial and commercial side of things fit in your customer supplier relationship. I'd also like you to think about understanding and, and finding out who their key decision makers are, really taking the time to build a depth of relationship with those individuals. I think one of the, the best things about the, the LinkedIn platform is that you can have multiple connections at your customers at a range of different levels and you can really really start to you know add value through sharing information sharing insight and you know just continuing that level of depth of relationship I think that is made far easier today with technology such as LinkedIn than it has been before so who are their key decision makers? I'd also like you to think about who are their key influencers. So in some businesses, people may not necessarily have a particular role, but they have a voice in that business. And it could be someone who has been there a long time. It could be someone who has uh, got a very particular perspective on things. It could be someone that has a particular already pre-existing relationship with someone. I experienced this uh, quite recently in that uh, we put in a proposal for, for a body of work. The, and we knew we were up against someone else and we knew we were up against someone else who had uh, an existing relationship with the decision maker and surprise, surprise, regardless of the quality of our proposal, that, that relationship was so strong that uh, the, they went with the person they already had the relationship with. So that's just, and, and that's what was to be expected. So that person was an influencer and a decision maker. And I'd like you to, in final part of this piece of understanding the depth of relationship with your customers is, what happens if your customer leaves? So if they leave your business, wherever it is you work, what is the risk associated with that? 
So is there going to be a significant drop in revenue? Is it going to be a drop in, in, in brand awareness? Is it going to be a drop in your credibility? All of these types of things, because I think if we took more time to understand the risks of our customers leaving, we might find that more people in the workforce are actually focused on our customers. So what are the, what are the, the risks if your customers leave? So they're the 15 questions, but one of the things I just wanted to finish up on here in particular with customers is the idea about loyalty and profitable growth. This idea comes from the Net Promoter Score methodology, which is really about understanding how your customer views you and generally your customer can fit into three categories, which is either a detractor, a passive or an advocate. Now, obviously, you want as many advocates out there as you can. One of the things that will happen if you really focus on building a depth of relationship with your customers is their loyalty levels will stay very high. And if they stay very high, that has a direct impact on your ability to grow your business, grow your team or the growth of your business. And in a way that is very profitable. So by focusing on our customers, we're essentially impacting the growth of a business and the profitability of a business. So there is a direct link. So I'd like you to finish up this section with, with, with that in mind. Let's think about the importance of loyalty and the importance of profitable growth. So moving on to the next section of your external relationships, I'd like to explore the depth of your relationships in terms of your suppliers. And I'd like to start with this first question, which is, how well do you understand the service that they offer? The reason I'd like you to consider this is it allows you to think about, well, you understand the, the service that they offer. Are you getting the best service? Are they the only provider of that service? Uh, what, are the, what are the challenges in terms of using that supplier? And are you happy with that, that service that they're offering you? So I think by taking the time just to you know, get some clarity around that, I think we'll, again, encourage you to have a, a whole other level of depth in terms of your relationship with your suppliers. I think you also need to be clear about their pricing. So are you clear on, on the price point that your suppliers are giving you? Are they giving you the best deal? Is there room to move? Because obviously as customers, we want to get the best deal as we can from our suppliers. Are we getting the best deal possible? You know, what are the payment terms? All of those type of things in terms of pricing, I think are, are vital in, in your relationship with your supplier. It's also important to consider, you know, are you aware of the contract conditions? So are there things which could come back and cause you some discomfort later on? Uh, are they meeting all of their contractual arrangements? Are there ways to end the arrangement should they not be able to provide the service that they said they were going to provide? I'd also like you to think about how well do you know who their key people are? So generally in the, the customer supplier relationship, there's going to be you know, a salesperson or an account manager, somewhere, something of that nature. Who else is involved in their, their business? Who else is their CEO, their GM, their operations manager, their finance person? Who else is around? Who are their key people? Again, this lends itself to ultimately getting a better deal and, and, and you know, many, many suppliers will start to do things like if you lock in for a certain amount of time, they might give you a better price point. The only way you're going to lock in for a certain amount of time not, may be price, but it also may be that you have confidence that they're going to be around for that period of time, that they, you have confidence in the key people in their business, the ones who are delivering the service potentially. So I really like you to check in and see, you know, who are their key people? What do you know about them? What level of depth do you have with them? I'd like you to consider their position in the market. So are they number one? Are they number two? Are they number three? Are they the only player? Are there multiple players? Where do they sit? Why do they sit where they sit? It's really about just getting a sense of them as an organisation, where they're going. And this will give you a sense of comfort as well. One of the, the big things that, or big statistics, which people often talk about here is that the, the ratio of businesses that actually make it past their one-year, two-year, five-year, ten-year mark, and the stats are pretty low 
most people will say pretty comfortable in saying you know 90 to 95 percent of businesses don't make it past the first year that number drops down for two years and that number drops down even further for 10 years so, and even some of the biggest companies in the planet uh, over the last 10 years or so have, have essentially disappeared or, or shrunk down quite dramatically so it's really about understanding their position in the market which also may give you some level of, of bargaining power or some cases may not if you look at someone like apple you're not really able to go into an apple store and bargain them on price because they have the dominant market position i'd like you to think about how important a customer you are to them so if you're a really big customer to your supplier does that give you the ability to ask for a better deal better service better conditions better terms do they give you the best level of service it was quite funny I was interviewing someone for the podcast and they actually said to me that one of their suppliers rang them and said we're just letting you know that you have moved from a tier one customer to a tier two customer that won't impact the level of service but that's just how we view you from this point on now the, the person I was speaking to was was dumbstruck thinking whether that's an internal process which shouldn't have gone external is a maybe but do you really ring your customer and say that? That they're no longer as important as they once were? So probably worth knowing how important a customer you are to them. I think it's also important to know who their competitors are. Who are they up against? What is different about them compared to their competitors? This allows you to think about should you need to move in, in some shape or form? This allows you to, to potentially get uh, insight into products and services, new offerings, things like that. So I think it's, there's, there's some value in really understanding who their competitors are. One thing that we often don't think about in terms of our relationship with our suppliers is the idea of the quality cost trade-off. And that is that as, as quality goes higher, in many, many cases, cost goes higher. That's often because there's different processes or using different materials and things like that. So if you're asking for something uh, of quality but you're not prepared to pay for it, and I recently saw on one of my Facebook feeds someone posing the question, would you buy a Rolex if it was only five bucks? And it was an interesting point because straight away you dis you think that there's something questionable about the value of that Rolex. Is it a real Rolex? Is it a is it a fake? Has it been damaged? Has it been re and it's simply because of that, your expectation of that price point is so different. So what is the quality cost trade off that you may be asking your suppliers to give you? It's also important to know what systems they use. So their software in terms of, of payroll, their, their way of managing you as a customer, their CRMs. I was, I was out chatting to, to someone yesterday for a podcast and I'm in his uh, HubSpot CRM and it had all the, all the conversations there. And it's just a way of him of keeping track of, of our relationship there. So there's nothing wrong with having a good sense of what systems your, your suppliers use. Payment terms, expectations is a big one right now. There's been legislation moved in, in different states within Australia where small businesses need to be paid within a two-week time frame of, of generating an invoice. And I think that some suppliers are more flexible than others. And I think this is about quality of relationship. I think that if you've purchased a service that you should pay for it in a reasonable time. Uh, but I do think it's worth just making sure that you're across that, that you understand what their payment terms are in terms of expectations. Reliability is another one. How reliable are they at providing the service to you? If there's a strong level of reliability, well then there's a strong sense that you know the relationship will continue. But if you have a supplier that is notoriously unreliable, I think what will happen is you'll start to question the relationship. And I think it's also worth exploring the assurances they provide that they can actually deliver the service. Because quite often salespeople will be out there talking to potential customers and say whatever they have to say to win the business and they often struggle to actually fulfill or deliver the, the body of work. So it's important to say when you're dealing with your suppliers or what assurances can you provide us that you can deliver the service? How are you going to do that? How are you going to make sure that all our quality expectations are met? And all of those things. 
There's nothing wrong with grilling your suppliers to make sure that you feel comfortable as the customer that they're going to be able to provide the service they said they would. I think it might also be worth understanding what the tangibles are of the business that's providing a service to you. I think that one of the stories I often hear in the training programs I run is about the quality of cleanliness when it comes to Linfox trucks and all those stories of people who have come through my programs and said that you know Lindsay Fox has you know pulled a truck off the road because it hasn't been clean enough and he didn't care what was on it had to get cleaned and if you stick with that idea for a minute if you're getting a service some sort of service and the person providing it the equipment looks rubbish or dirty or filthy and you're associated with that that might not be an association that you want to have so just understanding the tangibles and how they how they look how they present themselves as an organization as a supplier I think might be a, a good idea I think there's nothing wrong with expecting your suppliers to demonstrate a level of empathy to you in terms of when challenges arise what happens uh, when things go wrong and I think a little bit of empathy goes a long way from your suppliers and, and what it does do is strengthen a relationship and start to create the foundation for a long-term relationship as opposed to this short-term relationship which uh, I know suppliers don't like. Again, what level of empathy are they demonstrating to you? And I think the final point in terms of building a really strong relationship with your customers is the idea of how responsive are they to to you as an organization so you're you're their customer uh, they're there to provide you with a service when you need an answer when you need something done how responsive are they how quickly do they jump up and say hey this is what we're doing for you how quickly do they respond to any queries that you may have around the service that they're providing nothing wrong with expecting them to be highly responsive and I, again i think it comes down to that idea of setting very clear expectations with your suppliers about the level of service that you want from them and then holding them accountable to deliver that level of service. So that, that finishes up the section on suppliers. So now we move on to the third section in terms of our external relationships. And this is one which some people think might be a little controversial and might have some different perspectives on. Uh, but I think it's important to have a level of relationship with your competitors. And the first thing I'd like you to think about is being aware of their service offerings. You know, well, what are they putting out into the marketplace? Now, I'm not expecting you or asking you to be so focused on this that all you do is mirror your competitors. I think it just makes good business sense just to have a, a sense of what's going on with your competitors. I don't think it's worth being blindsided because you say, oh, I don't care what my competitors do and we run our own race. And you might have that perspective for me and nothing wrong with having a well-rounded sense of what's going on. So ask yourself, you know, what do you know about their service offerings? Are they offering the same types of things that you are? I think it's also useful to be aware of the different methods and technologies that they're using. So what methods of attracting customers are they using? Uh, what technologies do they use to deliver the service? There might be lessons that you can learn. There might be things that you can uh, implement in your own business, in your own team, which will enable you to deliver a better level of service to your customers. And you know, again, it's a different perspective. And I think there's tremendous value in having those different perspectives and being open-minded when you see and hear those different perspectives about how they apply to you and your business, your team. I think there's something useful in understanding how they price. So some people will say to you that you should price whatever you want to price. Some people will say that you should price whatever the market's prepared to pay. Some people will say you should always, you know, the way you're going to win business is always pricing lower than your competitors. So there's all these different views on pricing, and I'm not going to go into that for, for this episode. What I am going to suggest is just have an idea about where their price point is compared to yours, especially if you're going up against them in competitive tenders and things like that. 
Price isn't always the determining factor. Uh, sometimes it plays a part. But if you've got a, a, a service or product which is priced at A and they've got a service or product which is priced in a very, very different way, you might may not need to match it. All you might need to do is understand why they're pricing the way they're pricing or what enables them to price the way they're pricing. So again, depth of relationship. I think it's always useful to know who their key people are and, and a couple of reasons here. One, it allows you to be aware of what's going on in their world, so through their, their, their key people. And you know, putting it bluntly, it might be an opportunity for you to attract some of their key people to you. If you're providing better conditions, better salaries, better all of those things, but you know there's someone at one of your competitors that you want because they're, they're not happy, because generally people only leave if they're not happy, who are those key people? I think it's also useful to understand how they how they take their service or products and services to the marketplace, so how they market. Do they use account managers? Do they use LinkedIn? Do they use web traffic? Do they use Google AdWords? Do they use SEO? What are their ways of attracting people and customers? Again, not expecting you to copy them. I'm expecting you to open yourself up to it's a different perspective. Does it work? Could it work? Have you considered... And I think that that very key question of what's possible is always useful to ask yourself when it comes to comes to your competitors. Do you know how they differentiate themselves from you? So let me let me give you a, a little example in our business. Two things we've done this year which have been very clearly designed to differentiate us from our direct competitors. The first is exactly what you're listening to right now, which is the podcast. If you go and look for a lot of uh, our competitors, you'll see that they don't have a podcast, they're not speaking to senior leaders, they're not putting out free content and expecting nothing in return. They are, they are just not doing it. Second thing we've done very clearly this year is the release of uh, my book, Give Back, Lead Forward. What that does is, is highlight just how serious we take mentoring and why we take it so seriously that we wrote a book about it. So I think that from, from my perspective, they're the example of how we seek to differentiate ourselves out. So I'm going to ask you to think about how do your competitors differentiate themselves. This might be a little bit of a controversial one. It's about knowing who their customers are. So you might be the sort of business which is very predatory and is going to go after your, your competitors' customers. Or you might be the sort of business that says, there's, oh yeah, the pie is big enough for all of us. I think that there's something to be said for understanding who their customers are and just giving it a bit of thought and why they have that type of customer. Is it because they've been around longer than you? Is it because they've got better systems than you? Is it because they've got better front end, better back end? Whatever it is, it just again, it, you can use it as a way of looking at your own business and really seeing where you can improve as a business. I'm also going to ask you to consider their longevity as a service provider. In other words, how long have they been around? So if they've been around for a long period of time, there's often two sides to that coin. The first side is that they become complacent, become stagnant. They've got legacy issues, they've got a long history, and it's that whole idea of why do we need to change? The flip to that is they've been an organisation who has recognised that change is here and they're, they're continually adapting and moving and, and shifting in the marketplace. You look at the tech companies now, they are very good at adapting, shifting and moving within a marketplace to make sure that they stay relevant. If you look at Amazon as an example, they start off selling books, now they sell just about everything. So it's really worthwhile thinking about what's their longevity like. Are they just a flash in the pan? Are they going to be a long-term competitor? Can they maintain the level of service they're providing to the people they're providing it to? I think it's also interesting to think about what their challenges are. So some challenges would be industry-wide. Some challenges would be company-focused. So if, you, if you're in a position to build some sort of relationship with your competitors and, and you understand what their challenges are, why wouldn't you work together if they're industry challenges. So I'm going to ask you to think about what you can do in terms of knowing what their challenges are. 
Tenth thing I'm going to ask you to think about in terms of your competitors is barriers to entry. What are the barriers to entry into your industry? So some industries that have high, high capital costs and high equipment costs, there's significant barrier to entry in terms of uh, the finance required to start up a business. Other businesses, they're not. My business is a perfect example. You can be a single person who has got some leadership uh, experience and you can go out and you can promote yourself as a leadership trainer and probably start to get some work. So what are the barriers to entry? Because I think what that enables you to do is think about how can you set up a defensive position in terms of your business and your industry. I think this is an interesting one, which is the idea of exploring are there any partnership opportunities. This will only work if you're a business who is open to the fact that the pie is big enough and you're not solely focused on thinking that you know you need to get everything you can get at the expense of others. But if you're open to the partnership opportunity, well then what that enables you to do is say, is there a way that we can work together? And once you've got to that point of working together, there might be commercial win-win for, for both of you. And businesses that have really strong partnership arrangements quite often are able to set up different revenue streams from those partnership arrangements. And the ones that are in that partnership tend to outshine the ones that aren't. So again, it relies on you being open-minded. It relies on the nature of the business that you're actually in. Uh, something I'd like you to consider there. Next thing I'd like you to consider in terms of your competitors are, are there common interests? So again, that, that plays off some of the conversations we had in the previous episode about the team and, and manager and, and peers, common interests. So what, what common interests are there? And it could be that it's industry interests, but where, where are those common interests? How can you harness those relationships with them? Any business would be uh, remiss if they didn't try to keep abreast of new entrants in the market. People coming in, businesses coming in, the, the common word that's used right now is disruptors. You know, who's going to disrupt the industry? And many businesses try to position themselves as disruptors. Um, I think you can maybe hear from my tone of voice that disruptors isn't a word which I, I resonate with. So, but I do think it's worthwhile taking the time to think about who is uh, entering your market, why they're entering your marketplace, and is there, again, is there a partnership opportunity there? Uh, second last one is, I think it's useful to know if people are targeting your customers. If they're targeting your customers, how are they targeting them? What are they trying to do? What are they trying to achieve? Do they have any chance of taking your customers away? And again, a lot of this will depend on the quality and level of service which you're providing to your customer base. Uh, some organisations will very blatantly say they're going after uh, other, other organisations' customers. Uh, this also lends itself to the whole conversation about do you publish who your customers are? Again, not going to go into that in this episode, but I would suggest you know, keep your eye on and, and just, just try to get that general sense of are they going after your customers? And I think the final thing I'd like to just encourage you to consider in terms of your relationship with your customers is understanding how many true competitors you have. So you may have people that provide the same service, but because of whatever reason, they're not actually a true competitor in that they may not be operating in the same industry that you're operating in, or they may not be of the same size that you are. So there's the difference between competitors and what I define as true competitors. And I think the more time you can spend really taking the time to understand your competitors, again, depth of relationship is going to serve you very well. So the last part of the external relationships is the relationship you have with your industry. And I think this is an interesting one because people tend to like to be part of a particular industry. Some people deliberately try to you know, build their experience through different industries, but quite often we find ourselves resonating with a particular industry. So the first thing I'd like you to consider is do you really understand the category that your industry sits in? And I'll use uh, Synergy Group as an example of how you could look at this. 
So you could say that uh, Synergy Group is an industry of uh, corporate training or adult training, which could then also sit, because we also do accredited training, could sit within vocational training. And you could say that actually fits within a broader category of education. And it's really interesting because as soon as you start positioning us as an education provider, you start associating us with other education providers who definitely aren't our competitors, such as primary schools, high schools, universities. You, as soon as you start positioning us in our industry as a vocation provider, then you don't compare us to universities. So having a good sense of the category that you want to be in I think is important because it does does allow you to have a better sense of where you sit in the marketplace and it ties very much into suppliers, customers, competitors as well. And I think you'll find that you personally like to be within a particular category in industry. I'd also like you to think about what's the relationship between your industry and other industries. So if I think about uh, some of our clients, they have, you know, there's one, if I'm thinking in particular, they have, they are in the logistics industry. They have a very direct relationship to the mining industry because they transport product that's produced in mining. So I think that you just understanding that relationship allows you to get a better sense of who your customers are and who the suppliers are and how the whole industry works as, as a total. So I know that we have, in my business, we have a relationship with a software provider that provides student management software for us to use. So there's a direct link between the software provider and the service we do. We also have a direct relationship with the uh, printing industry because we need to get uh, certificates printed in a very special way, etc, etc. So there's all these sort of relationships that go on between industries and I think it's worthwhile just you know, having a good sense of what they are. I think it's important to also think about who might be a complementary industry that's not competitive. This is where partnerships can very much potentially be created. I'll give you an example. So if you look at who I quite often talk to in businesses, it's quite often HR directors and people like that. They're quite often the ones who are responsible for implementing learning programs for leaders. An example of other industries that might be talking to HR directors and leaders might be talent management software providers, or sometimes they're called human capital management software. So that could be very complementary without being competitive, because we certainly don't want to do what they do, and my guess is they certainly can't do or want to do what we do. So again, having that sense of industry and the links and the relationships can really allow you to think about how it all fits together and how you can grow your team, how you can build a depth of relationship and which you don't always know where those relationships will take you. I think it's also important to be aware of any emerging technologies within your industry. I think that change is coming far faster than a lot of people uh, imagine. I think technology is changing things sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. And I am very, very surprised when people don't tend to realise what's coming at them very, 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 very quickly and they're not looking at how they can adapt, how they can change, how they can integrate what, what is coming for them. It's almost as though there's still a sense of denial in terms of emerging technologies. Future trends are always interesting to, to consider. You know, what are, what, are, what are the trends that are going on and are they really just fads or are they trends? So I think there's a real, if I think about my industry, there's a real shift now away from online learning. More and more people are seeing the value in the, the personal experience, in the conversations, in the perspectives, in the dialogue, in the practical application of things. So I think there's a, there's a real trend there. There's a there's a real trend away from using you know, PowerPoint when you're delivering any sort of training. So there's lots of trends going on in my industry and I'm sure that if you take the time to think about the trends that you're seeing in your industry, I think you'll find that, that there's plenty there as well. I always also like to think about the public perception of industry. 
I think I mentioned uh, in last week's episode about the, the, the financial services industry, the public perception in Australia of that right now is is rather low. We, we, we feel cheated, we feel ripped off, we feel as though there's no accountability and all of these things. And I think that, that makes it challenging for some people in that industry who no doubt would be operating from a, from the ethical perspective. So I always think that it's worthwhile understanding what the public perception of the industry is and, and how it links to the things we just spoke about, such as future trends, emerging technologies. I'd like you to consider what sort of relationship you have with industry leaders. So what industry leaders are there that you have relationships with? Are there, are there senior people in other businesses? Are there associations that your company is part of? Who are the current leaders? And also, who's leading the way in terms of innovation? Who's leading the way in terms of delivery? Who's leading the way in terms of customer service? Who's leading the way in terms of the selling and marketing systems? All of those things in terms of thought leadership. Who's leading the way? Also, I'd like you to think about what are the growth sectors in your industry and this is often a, a, a challenging one you know where can you get growth from a particular industry if you look at adult education as, as, as a potential definition of where we operate the growth sector very clearly is in international students 16 percent i think this year compared to last it's a booming market it's australia's third biggest export it's certainly very much a growth sector in the industry of adult education. Now, what that does is enable me to think about, you know, do we want to go there, do we not? And so I think I'd like you to consider what are the growth sectors, where might you be able to play, where might you be able to grow, what else might you be able to do within the industries you're working in? Now, I know the majority of the listeners are Australia-based with this, so this very much applies to you in terms of the, the value in having a global perspective. So I think that it's very easy to get caught up in the perspective which is linked to your your region, your area, your country. And I think there's a lot going on around the world that we that we don't always know. And I think it's useful to be able to see and hear those things and, and think about how they might apply. And again, that outside looking in perspective can be really, really useful. I mentioned earlier about regulators and uh, or any sort of associations or bodies that that uh, provide any sort of oversight and I think that you know some some of them actually want a relationship with you because they know that having a relationship with you is a better way of them achieving what they're trying to achieve others do not want a relationship with you they want to be completely neutral they want to be completely uh, in their own view transparent and non-biased uh, so I think it's really going to be up to you to, to, to look at what sort of associations or industry regulators overs, have oversight of your industry and work out the best way to approach it. I'm always a fan of industry associations, understanding them. I'm not expecting you to always be a part of them because I can quite honestly tell you that you know, there's a lot of uh, industry associations that we could be part of and we choose not to be. But I'm aware of them, I'm aware of what they do and... I think that there's real value in knowing what's going on and who they are and what they're up to and, and what their view on things are. I think it's almost also worthwhile you know, knowing who might be interested in your industry because you have a relationship with your industry. You have a, you're an advocate for your industry, if you like where you work, that is. So who might be interested in that? Who can you share with? Who can you share your knowledge or experience with? Who might be interested in listening? Who might be interested in joining your industry? I know there's a lot of focus in some industries on diversity and inclusion at the moment. So the only way that that's going to work is if there's advocates out there that are actively promoting the industry, actively promoting the organisation, and really looking to build relationships with a broader community. So where, does your, where, do, where do you fit in terms of really being advocates for your industry? Industry events are always an interesting one. There seems to be a different conference going on uh, every day, every week, every year. Uh, so there's always something to go to. There's all these online forums and groups that you can be a part of as well. But I think you know, nothing beats that face-to-face -face industry event 
think that they're, they're, there's a lot of value in, in being a part of that. Finally, it's industry awards. You know, what are any industry awards that exist? There's, there's, a, there's a little bit of bragging rights, I suppose, coming from the fact that you might be able to get an industry award for your customer service or your, your innovation or whatever it might be. So what awards might exist? And I think that, you know, that helps position you as a market leader and et cetera, et cetera, and allows you to, to bring that goodwill and reward and recognition down to your team. And your team may be responsible for, for winning the award, there's a lot of lot of value in really starting to look at things from uh, that perspective, and just one more is the idea of partnerships. Are there any partnerships opportunities that could exist with your industry? Sometimes industries and industry associations have uh, an invested interest in working with people in the field, working with leaders, working with businesses about how to make the industry more successful, more competitive. And so are there any partnership opportunities that may exist for you, something I'd like you to think about? So that pretty much wraps it up for this episode. That is the, the second part of the nine relationship groups, which originally started as one episode, but I didn't realise it was going to be so long, so now it's two episodes. I trust that that's been of value for you. Again, if you're, if you're interested in getting a set of these questions that I've been walking you through and asking you to consider, please do send me an email at julian at synergengroup.com.au uh, or hit me up on LinkedIn. Uh, again, would love for you to head over to iTunes or Stitcher, leave a review, love to hear what you think. This is probably going to be the first time that we have back-to-back content episodes simply because I, I don't want to have a big break between... Uh, the internal and the external relationships. Uh, So happy listening. Hope it was of value for you and love to hear what you think and see you next time. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Synergy Leadership Podcast. I trust you found it interesting. A couple of things. If you could go online and leave a review of the podcast, that would be great. Really help us in uh, spreading awareness of the podcast. Happy for you to connect with me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. And if you want to shoot me through an email, julian at synergygroup.com.au. See you next time.